Before we get started, I wanted to thank Prevail Infoworks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Prevail Infoworks is the only global, full-service, tech-enabled CRO and e-clinical service provider harnessing historical and publication data alongside ongoing study data in real time. Get the most out of your study data and schedule a demonstration of this service for yourself at www.prevailinfoworks.com. And be sure to meet the Prevail team at the Outsourcing Clinical Trials East Coast Conference in May or at their offices in Philadelphia. Again, take a moment and explore their new look website at www.prevailinfoworks.com. Check them out. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. People tend to think of each person having their own unique genome. Quotient Therapeutics is taking an approach to drug discovery based on the reality that from cell to cell within a given individual, there can be trillions of divergent genomes. Changes in cells throughout the body can alter how a cell responds to disease and point to new ways to cure, treat, or prevent conditions. We spoke to Jacob Rubens, president of Quotient, about the company's platform technology, how it tests genetic mutations at a cellular level, and its efforts to build a pipeline of therapies around the insights it gains. Jake, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Great to be here. We're going to talk about genetic variation within the cells of the body, the implications of this for health and disease, and Outquotient is focusing on this variation to develop new therapies. Let's start with what I suspect may come as a surprise to most people. People don't have a single genome. Their genomes may vary from cell to cell within the body. How much variation exists in our genomes from cell to cell? Um, well, first of all, thank you, Danny, for uh, welcoming me on on this podcast to speak about Quotient. It's, it's super fun to talk about uh, what we're doing and, and the science the team's pursuing um, so yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, every cell in our body has on average about 2000 distinct mutations in its genome or about 20 mutations in coding genes in any given cell. And when you think about how many cells are in their, our body, 30 trillion, um, the amount of genetic variation in total across our bodies is mind blowing. So it's more like 10 to the power of 16 somatic mutations in every genome. That's like a hundred thousand million million mutations. Um, and every single position in our genome is mutated about 30 million times. So there's a lot of numbers I just threw out at you. The simplest way to think about it is that um, the assumptions that we have one genome is off by about a trillion fold because every cell has its unique sequence of DNA. What's known about the consequence of this variation in the case of disease states, and is it 
a cause or effect? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's it depends upon the disease we're looking at and 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 uh, the specifics of the biology. So, um, as a consequence of of this genetic variation, it's sort of like we have a natural genetics library inside of us. You know, scientists since we understood the code of life have been making making libraries of cells with different genetic sequences and trying to connect the change in the sequence of that genome in a cell to the phenotype of that cell. And what we realized at Flagship when we were uh, laying the foundation for Potion was that our body was actually doing these experiments for us every single day in every one of us, in every organ. And that in the context of health or in the context of disease, it may be the case, and it has turned out to be the case, that the selective pressure of the evolution of disease selects for cells that have differences in fitness, cells that can better survive in a healthy disease state, or cells that in some cases actually cause disease itself. And so if you take an organ like the liver, some back of the envelope math reveals that across that organ, every single gene in our genome is mutated about 2 million times in different hepatocytes, 2 million hepatocytes with mutations in any given gene in, a, in an average middle-aged person. So in the context of a disease like, say, NASH, fatty liver disease, what was known around the time that we were starting the company was uh, actually that certain hepatocytes discovered mutations that enabled them to be more fit in the face of the environmental onslaught of the type of diet and lifestyle that, that leads to NASH. So we have now found that across many different diseases, we can discover mutations, somatic mutations that protect cells in the face of disease or actually drive those cells to cause disease itself. And I can share some examples with you if it's of interest where that's the case well, as well. I, I'm interested in having you talk a little about the, the background story and, and how Quotient came about. Um, yeah, so approximately 20 years ago, um, scientists sequenced um, the, the human genome. And since then, it has been, it has had remarkable impact on uh, drug development. So much so that in 2021, about two thirds of drugs approved by the FDA had meaningful genetic support behind them. Two thirds. And um, that's because targets that are well supported by genetics have somewhere between a two to three X higher probability of success of going from uh, through all the different stages of drug discovery and development and reaching the commercial market. Um, Matt Nelson, uh, whose work is uh, has been referenced many times in this space, has just recently updated his analysis of this for the first time, I think, since 2015. And I think the specific number is a 2.6 X higher probability of success on average for drugs supported by genetics. So um, at Flagship, we, we knew that genetics was a very powerful way to identify uh, new drug targets and to believe in the targets that people are investing in. Um, and we're constantly exploring new areas of science. And uh, me and my team had become uh, particularly excited about new approaches to genetics to find targets that were being missed by the so-called population genetics or germline genetics-based approaches where um, scientists compare the genome of people to eat across different individuals and try to understand how a change across the millions of distinct changes in a person's genome leads to a disease. And that, that's really hard to do. Um, 
it requires a lot of genome sequences to to achieve this uh, sufficient statistical power to associate a genetic variant with a change in a person's health or disease. And so when we began to see this literature that was emerging about somatic mutations inside of the body, where two cells might be sitting next to each other and have only 20 differences in their coding genes, we realized that might be a way to actually connect genotype to phenotype changes uh, much more directly. Um, and what really clicked the light bulb on for us and crystallized our, um, our pathway to starting a company here was during our exploration into somatic genetics, uh, we connected with the group that ultimately became our academic co-founders at Quotient Therapeutics. And um, we had immediate kinship with them, um, immediate shared vision about where the field is today, where it could go, and what it was going to take to get there. Um, and that's what led us to to uh, make the Series A investment into Quotient and build the company the way that we are today. Well, Quotient is, is taking a, a deep dive into the genetics of disease states. Walk us through the platform and what it's able to do. Um, absolutely. Uh, so our platform is capable of associating specific genetic changes with specific health or disease phenotypes. And we do this in, in four steps. The force, first step is phenotyping. So here we will take tissue from patients who have disease. We'll also take control samples and we'll identify cells within those tissues that appear to have a healthy or diseased phenotype, depending upon the question that we're asking. So you can imagine in the context of, say, um, a myocardial infarction, identifying the cardiomyocytes that appear to be healthy in what is otherwise a sea of ne necrotic or ischemic tissue. So we identify those cells. The second step is we isolate those cells. Here we leverage a couple different methods, but our workhorse is actually a pretty cool technology. It seemed like science fiction to me when I learned about it. It's called laser capture microdissection. And what that technology enables us to do is to identify as few as a single cell under microscope and use a laser to cut it out and separate it from the rest of the tissue. So we use this method and some others, such as flow cytometry, depending upon the tissue. We use these methods to separate the cells which have the phenotypes of interest. Then the third step is we sequence their DNA. To achieve this, we use the world's most sensitive DNA sequencing technology. It's based upon a technology called nano rate sequencing or NanoSeq for short. The basis of that technology was published by our academic co-founders. Um, and what that technology enables is us to detect a mutation that is prevalent at a frequency as low as one in 1 billion copies of a DNA sequence. So that means that if there's 1 billion different copies of a gene, we can find the one of those 1 billion that is different. And that degree of sensitivity is about 10 million times greater than what is possible with the standard next generation sequencing technology that is whizzing consistently in every lab in this world. Um, and then the fourth step is to, is to compute, to actually process and understand the type of sequencing data that comes off of our NanoSeq method, and to also integrate that data set with other data sources, such as population slash germline genetics, such as transcriptomics, and integrating all of this data together, running meta-analyses, machine learning-informed analyses that allow us to draw conclusions about how we can link 
the genotype all the way back to that phenotype that led us to isolate that cell in the first place. Well, I, I imagine one of the, the risks here is that the screening is so sensitive that you may be identifying something so rare that it's really not significant in, in terms of disease. How do you make that link? Right. So there's, there's a couple different important uh, control factors that we consider. One is how frequently do we observe this mutation as evolving, or I should say this mutated gene as being linked to disease? How frequently do we see this within the same individual and across individuals? What someone would call convergent evolution. Um, so because we are sampling multiple sites or multiple cells within the same individual, what we often observe is that the same gene is being linked to a phenotype from different sample locations. So we're seeing that within this person, the same amazing biological feat of this healthy cell in a sea of dead cells is being linked to this specific gene being mutated. So that's a pretty remarkable observation, even with this internal control. But then what, when we get really excited, it's because we see it happening in other people as well. So multiple people having these multiple sites that are achieving this convergent evolution. That starts to say there's something really special happening here. And then we do form. Uh, further normalization by comparing to samples from healthy people where we would not expect to see these associations at all. Um, that leads us to actually to calculate what we call a somatic quotient, which is a ratio of the frequency that we observe these mutations in our diseased versus healthy samples. Um, and that has turned out to be a really straightforward path to, to um, conclusively associate changes in a gene with a phenotype. How unique is this approach and the insights it can provide? Well, we don't know of anyone else pursuing this. Um, we're the first company that we know of, which is pioneering the field of somatic genomics. Um, and uh, the first company, and there's not many people in academia working on this either. We're working with a large, large portion of them. Um, recently, the NIH announced an initiative that they call the SMART initiative. So I'm saying basically SMART with a Boston accent, but that's because the acronym is S-M-A-H-T. Um, and uh, what the NIH has invested in is building the capabilities in academia to interrogate questions about somatic genomics for the first time. So we, we believe we're really at the tip of the spear uh, of understanding this biology and are the only company that has industrialized this capability at the moment. We we don't think we'll be the last, but we are confident we're the first and we're confident we're pretty far ahead of anyone else who's trying to accomplish this. The company has likened its process to a clinical trial at the cellular level to test somatic mutations, identifying which ones are beneficial versus neutral versus disease-causing. The suggestion is that mutations may not only cause diseases, but confer protection against them and that you may not only be able to treat diseases, but in some cases, reverse or prevent them. Is, is that correct? That, that's right. By identifying what underlies the great diversity in the phenotype of cells in the context of disease, we believe we have unlocked the path to identify targets for drugs that can be curative. And we think that there's no better place to identify uh, that than the crucible of evolution that is occurring inside of all of us at all times. And as you 
walk through your process. What are the different elements you're looking at and how does that translate into a therapeutic target? Yeah, great question. So what, what we learn from our process are links between changes in genes and the disease and the disease phenotype. And then the next question is, so what? What do we do with that information? And what we set out to do at Quotient is, is make drugs. Um, and from those genes that we have linked to disease, we begin to ask questions such as, does this gene cross-validate in other methods like population genetics, um, like transcriptomics? When we knock down this gene in cells or introduce the mutation into cells, does it modulate the phenotype the way we would expect it to? We ask similar questions in animal models. And we try to prioritize targets that, from our perspective, are particularly druggable. Those that are modulatable with um, as run-of-the-mill small molecules, biologics, as, as possible. Um, but that won't be every target we find, of course. And so... Um, it actually presents a lot of very compelling opportunities for us to partner and share what we've learned with parties who can act upon um, the information to develop drug modalities, or I should say, to deploy drug modalities that are beyond the pale for us at Quotient. You're agnostic to modalities and therapeutic areas. How do you bring focus to what you're doing so that you're able to prioritize what you'll pursue and, and how you'll pursue them? Yeah, it's such a good question, Danny. And we, we talk about this and think about this every day as a leadership team. Um, the potential impact of our platform at Quotient is really vast. Um, we've already successfully deployed our approach in many different diseases. Um, and, and that includes therapeutic areas like cardiometabolic disease, auto, autoimmunity, immune oncology, um, and infectious disease. Um, we're currently doing experiments in uh, many other areas, such as more traditional oncology and in neurodegenerative disease. Um, we think this may reach into aging, which are some of the, the more exciting, uh, quite out there applications of the platform. And of course, have applications in, in monogenic disease as well. Um, the most uh, promising targets that are going to emerge from this platform are those that are cross-validated with the types of methods um, that, that I mentioned before. And um, what we've tried to be rigorous about as a company is first prioritizing diseases, or I should say therapeutic areas and diseases within those therapeutic areas, where we as Quotient are confident that when we develop a drug, we would be able to take that drug into proof of concept in the clinic. Um, and reach an inflection point in, in the valuation and probability of success of, of that molecule. What we have not spent too much time on yet are diseases where we would, we would really need a partner to advance to the human proof of concept just due to the complexity or the size of the clinical trials uh, behind it that are necessary for, for those diseases. I think of monogenic diseases and the difficulties that there can be in identifying a gene that's responsible for driving a disease and developing a therapy to target that condition, Quotient seems to be seeking to piece together a far more complex puzzle. What gives you confidence you'll be able to identify novel targets, unravel the biology of a disease, and develop effective therapies to treat these conditions? Um, you know, I think the, the, the historical success of genetics um, in drug discovery gives us a lot of confidence. So, um, 
as I, as I mentioned a minute ago, you know, two thirds of drugs that were approved by the FDA in 2021 had some degree of genetic support. Um, and we think that that will translate from the population genetics paradigm to the somatic uh, mutations way of looking at the world. Um, and some of the very best appreciated drugs, if not actually many of the best selling drugs on this planet outside of oncology have come uh, from genetic support. Many of the targets we, we talk about um, on a uh, on an almost daily basis in our industry, whether it's the GLP-1 drugs or you know, Vertex's hopeful um, success in NAV 1.8 for pain, these all come from uh, places where they have really strong genetic support. And we think somatic genetics is going to um, is going to, to enable that. And most importantly, enable that with meaningful advantages over population genetics. So um, because of the approach that we take, what we have already found is it takes far less data to derive more, more conclusive conclusions about links between genes and disease than it takes in um, population genetics. Um, and that's because of the, when you compare any two people, because of the millions of changes in their genomes that are there, as compared to when you compare a couple cells in the body and the only 2000 changes in their genome that are there, the 20 differences per gene. This gives us an immense power statistically that allows us to uh, conclude more with less data. And it also gives us much greater resolution upon links between gene and disease. And, and the reason that's the case is what we discover are not only which gene is mutated, but which amino acid in the gene is mutated. And in many circumstances, we identify consistent amino acid changes across different cells that are linked uh, that have linked a genotype to a phenotype. Now, I contrast that to what is often discovered in genome-wide association studies, which is what the vast majority of population genetics data is from. And in those studies, um, scientists are dancing in the street if they find a single nucleotide polymorphism, a SNP. They find one of these SNPs that is within, say, 10,000 base pairs of a gene. Now, they don't know how that SNP changes the gene's function, whether it increases it or decreases it. Or does nothing at all. But they're very happy if they just find that degree of an association compared to, say, the very specific change to that gene that we're, con that we're capable of observing with our methods. So um, we, feel, we feel really confident in our ability to um, discover incredible targets based upon the precedent for population genetics and also the advantages we have over population genetics. You've touched on that Quotient is a flagship pioneering company. I can see ways in things you're doing, how they complement other flagship companies, to what extent is there interplay between Quotient and, and other members of the flagship portfolio? Yeah, Danny, great, great question. Um, so in, in, in the time I've been at flagship, I've, I've co-founded um, a handful of companies, including Sana Biotechnology and Tessera Therapeutics, which are um, gene therapy, uh, gene slash cell therapy companies at Sana and a genome engineering company at Tessera. And so I'm quite familiar with the power that new drug modalities have, you know, expand from that. And you think about companies at flagship like Generate Biomedicines, which is pioneering the first generative approach to protein engineering therapeutics. Think about companies like Moderna that are much bigger pioneering mRNA therapeutics, uh, Alterna developing tRNA therapeutics. Um, so there is this amazing, um, amazing collection of uh, of technologies and therapeutic modalities that are expanding 
the pharmaceutical capabilities of our industry, all within house and flagship. And the first question we ask when we discover targets that we don't think we could act upon ourselves at Quotient, the first question we ask is, could another flagship company do it? Is this target well-suited to their technology? So we, we, we have those conversations. We, we are having those conversations all the time. And I do expect that Quotient will form many collaborations with uh, some of our sister companies. Quotient came out of a two-year stealth period in November. It has an initial $50 million commitment from flagship. How far will existing cash take you? And, and what's the plan for raising additional capital? Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be at flagship. Um, and to have the type of access to capital that, that we have as, as a company, as a part, as consequence of being part of that organization. Um, the initial investment is, is going to take us quite far. You know, it's already enabled us to demonstrate breadth and proof of concept across much of our platform. And, um, we think it will, it will support us through identifying the targets, uh, that we really want to double down on. Um, so we're, we're in a really great place right now and, uh, very fortunate to be part of the flagship family. Jake Rubens, president of Quotient Therapeutics. Jake, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. Thank you.